my series. In October, I've been doing a series on monsters. Why monsters? Because it's October, and we have Halloween and things in October, and I thought it was fitting. So I did zombies three weeks ago, then I did werewolves, and last week I struggled through the massive amount of material I had for vampires, and then this week I am doing demons. Everybody say, ooh, ooh, demons. Well, the catch already, is, as some of you might notice, is that the first three are fiction, right? But this one is not, as we are going to soon find out. Now, when I was a kid, my mom had strict, strict rules about Halloween. And that rule was this. We could be anything we wanted, as grotesque as we wanted. She really enjoyed doing like the ripped fake skin and like the, the oozing, bleeding wounds out of our faces and stuff, which we would then get dressed up and go to the church harvest party, right? And, and so this is my mom. I love her. She bought me Bram Stoker's Dracula as a kid. The illustrated version. Same Christmas I got Edgar Allan Poe. Like, the complete Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> I was like, Mom, have you read The Conquering Worm? This is so great. Like, oh, yes, honey. Anyway, I love my mom. But her rule, her strict rule for Halloween was that I could not dress up as anything real. So it was all fun and games as long as it was fun and games. And I learned real quick that demons were a no-go. Like, no even, like, little horn things, you know, like with red horns and the red tail. That was out. Because in my mom's mind, and I thank you for that line, by the way, because it was a good boundary, and it taught me something real, you know? But you don't make fun or mock something that really exists. You don't belittle something, you know, like, like demons or witches or warlocks that are really out there. You know, that's not really fun in games. It's not in the same category as a zombie, you know? And we're going to dive into that today. Here is the takeaway right off the bat from today's message. God is awesome. Amen. So if you're here and you are not, you know, you wouldn't call yourself a quote-unquote, air quotes, Christian, this might seem a little odd to you if you're not that familiar with the Bible. So just bear with me. We're just going to run through what the Bible says about some things pertaining to demons. And this is not going to be a practical guide to how to deal with demons, because I really don't think I have that much experience with that. I can direct you to some books and some resources, if that's some things that you're interested in. But we're going to talk about the reality of demons, a little bit about how the Jewish people viewed the spiritual realm, what they believed to be true, and then we're going to really highlight what just a tough guy, awesome God, Yahweh is, and was always considered. Does that sound cool? Let's do it. I'm going to read a scripture. If you've read this, it might not shock you, but if you haven't, it might surprise you that this is in the Bible. Way back in the Old Testament, the Jewish people have been rebelling against God for a long, 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 long time. Generations and generations. And God finally has to punish them. He's been telling them through prophets for like hundreds of years, like, look guys, seriously, Quit it, or else I'm going to have to punish you. Well, they insisted. So another country comes, takes them over, drags them into exile. And one of the guys that was in exile was a guy named Daniel. God and Daniel were like this. I mean, they were tight, man. And Daniel had these awesome visions. God just saw fit to, like, just wow his socks off so many times. So one of the times he has a vision, he doesn't understand it. 
And he's dedicating himself for three weeks. He's not going to eat anything other than like vegetables. And he's mourning because he wants to understand what God has communicated to him. That's dedication. And I think it's worthy dedication. This is what happens three weeks after this amazing encounter. He's out with his buddies, I think, by a river is the setting. I could be wrong. It could be another time. But Daniel chapter 10. Behold, a hand touched me. This is Daniel talking. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. And stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. Ooh, who's talking? So dramatic. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. Pause. From the first day you set yourself to understand your words have been heard? It's been three weeks. Whatever could have happened, he's about to explain. I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, one of the chief princes came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. And Michael came to me, and I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. This is an angel who's telling Daniel, hey man, I'm sorry I'm late. I was in a 21-day battle with an incredibly powerful demon who was assigned to the area of Persia. Sorry, I had to get some backup from Michael, the biggest, toughest guy we got upstairs, and he's beating him up right now, but I've got to hurry up because I don't want to leave him too long. And he says later in this chapter, I've really got to scoot because soon the prince of Greece is going to come. Is that, does that seem crazy? Does that seem too wild to be realistic? But we're going to discover as we go through this that that's just not that weird. If you were an ancient Israelite, that would not have been that odd to you. The reality that there were very powerful spiritual beings, some loyal to Yahweh and some not, and they were out there. Let's read. Main point. Number one, and this is kind of a, a two-point message, is that spiritual beings are real. They are real. They believed in them back in the, in the ancient Israelite days, and we're going to read some verses. And I would argue that we still believe in them now. Now, some people might be saying, like, well, I don't really, I don't really believe in spiritual things like that. But you know what? Our culture certainly does. Certainly does. I mean, look at the movies that sell. Look at... I mean, it's crazy. It's really wild. And I, I won't get too much into it because, honestly, I'm not that big of a movie guy. But scaring people with spiritual things sells. Because on some level, isn't it scary? Because we believe it. We might not believe it exactly like it's portrayed. Like, do I think it works exactly like it did in The Exorcist? Which no one should see. It's gross. <laughs> No, I don't think it works exactly that way, but something in me twisted up when I saw that movie, because I'm like, that's portraying something kind of real. In a similar way, I, I'm not really going to admit this from up here, I think I am, hand on tape, I'm going to do it. From time to time, I like to read an author named H.P. Lovecraft. Don't judge me, I'm sorry. So, not a steady diet, but he wrote some weird, wacky, 
weird stuff. And some of it is so dark, I just set it down. But some of it is, is really good and can be used. Uh, in the foreword to one of my collections of his, a guy is writing about his work. And he says, you know, these crazy things Lovecraft is writing about, they don't scare you as a reader because you read it and think, this is utter nonsense. They scare you because in a way you can't quite place, the deepest part of you knows this has a hint of truth. There's more out there than I can see. There's other stuff. Even as a modern culture, we can't shake it. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, Chris, you might remember the reference, I can't, I just remember the, the, the segment, where he's talking about different kinds of fear, and he says if somebody told you you, like, you had a bug on your back, you would experience a certain kind of fear. If somebody told you there was a tiger in the next room, you would experience a different kind of fear. But if someone told you there is a, a spirit in this room, your level of fear is now transcendent. A certain type of dread would come on you that you don't, it's not the same as the tiger or the bug. It's somehow deeper and creepier. It's a reality. And we believe it. That is the conclusion of the bad news of my message and the extent of all the creepy that we will be dealing with from here on. So that's done. Now we get to talk about how awesome God is. So if you are a Christian and you know the Lord and He is in your heart, you're about to think God is really cool. Does that sound good? All right. Now remember, God is revealing himself to his chosen people way back in the day. When he like built a people group from one dude. You know, tells this guy Abraham, you're going to be my man. We're going to make a mighty nation. He's like, awesome. Sign me up. Has one kid. You know? <laughs> and it goes very slowly for several generations. <laughs> like his son, I think, has one kid. It's like, we are rolling now, Lord. So glad you picked me. Mighty nation, here we go. Changed my name and everything. I've got a son. That's fantastic. But God really did create a whole people group out of one guy. And he has dedicated himself to reveal his nature to these people. These are the people he has picked almost in like a marriage covenant. And he's like, I am in it with you people, hell or high water, literally. Come what may, even if it cost me my life, which it did. So he's constantly revealing himself to these people. And he wants them to know, hey, I'm pretty great. I'm awesome. And these other gods, quote unquote, air quotes, are not so great. And they're not so tough. And really, they're not even worth your attention. Let's read some verses. This one is interesting. Remember, do the Israelites believe in the reality of powerful spiritual beings? Yes. Psalm 82. It's a poem written by a guy named Asaph. It may shock you in this context. Shocked me when my professor read it. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Colon. In the midst of the gods? There aren't other gods, are they? That's crazy. Check this out. This is God addressing the divine counsel. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness and all the foundations of the earth are shaken. And then God says, I said you were gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall 
like any prince. Another translation of that last line is, Nevertheless, I will kill you as one man. I will kill you as one man, all you princes. And then the last line, Arise, O God, and judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. Big pause. How many almighty creator gods are there out there? One. You know they had a limited vocabulary back in the day. They didn't have the, the benefit of 2,000 years of revelation like we do now. We pick up a big fat New Testament, you know, and we have access to great terminology like principalities and powers and angels and demons. They didn't really have that back in the day. They knew there were these powerful spiritual forces, right? So when you see gods in this context, that's what they mean. They don't mean that Yahweh has any competition. In fact, the purpose of this psalm is to say he has no competition. He hasn't just gone to a meeting of all the gods where he's a member. He's calling them to account. And he's like, I see the bad things you're doing. I see the influence you have on the earth and I don't like it. And I'm going to slay you all like one man. The end. Have a nice day. <laughs> Powerful. Yahweh wants his people to know he's a tough guy. He's the most powerful. Zero competition. Let's read another one. Well, in Job 1, again, we see this divine counsel. And it's underlings. These aren't peers. God has no peers. We would call them angels. They didn't really have the extensive vocabulary back in the day. But it's obvious that he is in charge. Check out Psalm 89, 5-7. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, these spiritual beings. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? In the vocabulary they had available, this is the, the psalmist saying, Yahweh has no competition. These other spiritual beings get around him, and he is greatly to be feared. You know, hyenas and wolves and wolverines and badgers, they all think they're tough until the lion walks out into the plane. And then it's like, I'm getting the heck out of here, right? The big dog is on the porch now, I'm scooting. Yahweh has no peers, ever. That's what he wants his people to know. Check this out. Psalm 29, 1 and 2. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. The glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Not only is there no competition in power, but you better worship him. Is he talking, the psalmist, to people on earth? No. He's like, you heavenly being things, spiritual realities that I don't really understand. I know this. You better worship Yahweh like we do. You better. Ascribe to him glory and holiness. Dang. Dang. Moses writes this to put another nail in the coffin in Deuteronomy 32, which incidentally, that whole chapter is something else, man. If you've never read Deuteronomy 32, check it out. He's talking to the people because they keep rebelling against God. They're already starting, and they're going to keep doing it for hundreds of years. He says, they, the people, stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, air quotes, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons. Ah, bringing it around. 
They sacrifice to demons that were no gods, to gods they have never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers have never, never dreaded. Interesting things in this verse. To gods who weren't gods. Yeah, they're not gods. They came around recently. Why is that important? Because there is one incredible, thick, impenetrable line that separates Yahweh from anything else that might be around. He is the Almighty, and He's the Creator. He's the Creator God. He is different in ways we can't even imagine from everything else that's quote-unquote spiritual. Let me illustrate this with some examples from real life. My point I'm trying to make is that not all spiritual beings are created even. Like this verse says, to gods that weren't gods. We understand God is the almighty creator God. And there's only one. So they're trying to make a point here that I'll make in a different way. Keith, you love to play basketball. Yes. You've played basketball for a couple years now. Absolutely. You're one of the better players on your team. By a long shot. By a long shot. That's true. <laughs> the dude gets rebounds on kids that are like a head and shoulders above. It's crazy to watch. Basketball season is coming up. And I'm psyched. I turn into a different person, man. I'm like, God, I'm Keith Kill. Anyway, so yeah. it's hard for me. It's in a few weeks. That's right. Amen. It's going to be awesome. Me and my mom are going to be there screaming our heads off every week. But I digress. For the sake of this discussion, Keith, would it be safe to say you are a basketball creature? Yes. Awesome. He's a basketball creature. So you're practically equal with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, right? Because they're basketball creatures too, creatures too no? Like, you're, you're ready to challenge them for the supreme spot any day now. Could happen. <laughs> is there a little bit of difference between you and those guys? Yes. And is it a small difference? No. So about the, <laughs> about the same dif- about the same only similarity you've got is that you both like basketball. Yes. Right. I'm sorry. No, we we ran through this first. I I prepped him. It's okay. But, so we got basketball similar, but there is no comparison between my son and LeBron James yet. Could happen. You know. But in the spiritual realm. God created some spiritual stuff. But they are even more set apart from him than my son is from LeBron James, even though they're both basketball creatures. It's laughable to think that Yahweh could have any, any competition in the spiritual realm. Another example that's fighting, and I didn't prep Chris. Chris, don't be shy. You, okay? You ready? You can be honest with me? Chris, yes or no, you have been in numerous boxing Muay Thai kickboxing and mixed martial arts cage matches. Yes. yes. You trained for years. Yes. Several days a week. Yes. You could probably wipe the floor with anyone in this room twice. It's okay to admit it. Probably. probably. Yes. So you are a fighting creature. Yes. So you're you're like right on par with like Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre. You're like ready to count those guys like any minute, right? No? Like <laughs> The difference between you and those guys, it's got to be small. I mean, you really gave it all you've got. No. You, but you won a lot, man. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, Chris is a good fighter, man. And he's got a, like an indomitable spirit, you know. But the difference between Chris and like a George St. Pierre is just, it's weird. Like, there are some guys that are just so far removed. They're, they're oddly gifted. But even that is laughable. Compared to the difference between Yahweh and any other spiritual reality. They're not even in the same category. 
even though they're both quote-unquote quote unquote, spiritual. He is head and shoulders above, untouchably holy, absolutely dominant. Have I beat that horse enough? Yes. All right. And all the other people said, amen, move on. No, keep going. I like it. I like that. So I'm going to read a story. I'm going to read a showdown story from the Old Testament. And we're going to read a showdown story from the New Testament. Now, a little bit of history. This is something that was done. All these pagan gods, which the Bible talks about as demons. Incidentally, in 1 Corinthians 10, in the New Testament, Paul also says that the pagans who are sacrificing are actually sacrificing to demons. Interesting. He carries on that belief into the New Testament. But don't be too worried, though. If you serve Yahweh, there's no competition. Let's read this story. In the pagan world, in the time of the ancient Israelites, the number one spot was up for grabs. It was like a perpetual March Madness in the heavenlies. Alright? Somebody was always trying to take your stuff, take your spot. You know, there was an open bracket, and you could jump in, and you could battle the sea god, and get down and over the sea god, and take out the storm god, and then you're ready to challenge the number one god, and you just might get it. It was in flux. It wasn't fixed. And gods had showdowns with each other. They wrote stories and stuff about it. But this one actually happened in real life. Check this out. 1 Kings 18. It's kind of long, but it's one of my favorites. Is everybody ready? This prophet named Elijah has declared by the word of the Lord, there's not going to be rain until God says. And it's going to be years. Three and a half years of no rain and famine. Everything is dying. Why is this a big deal? Because the jerk, idolater king has decided he wants to kill all the prophets of Yahweh and worship this God name. Does anybody know? Baal. Baal. That's right. This is significant because Baal was the storm god. Lightning, fire from heaven, lightning, rain. He controlled the weather. Elijah shows up and says, Yahweh's going to control the weather for a while. We're not going to have any rain around here. Enjoy it. Three and a half years later, this happens. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, oh man, saying, go show yourself to Ahab, that's the king, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, that's the place they were at, and Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, and when Jezebel, that's the evil queen, she was bad news, dude. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, and imagine really cutting off, like heads and stuff, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. So this is a good dude. We like Obadiah. And Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save some of the horses and mules and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them to pass through it, and Ahab went in one direction by himself, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Desperate times. The king is actually out in the middle of the wilderness looking for water, and so is this Obadiah guy. Who should he happen to see but the number one most wanted fugitive in the entire country? As Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is it you, my lord Elijah? And he said to him, It is I. Go, tell your lord. 
Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, Obadiah says, How have I sinned (laughs) that you would give your servant into the hands of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. Why do you think? To kill him. And when they would say, Elijah's not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you tell me, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I've gone from you, the spirit of the Lord is going to carry you to someplace I don't know. And Ahab is going to kill me. So he's like, I know you're a real prophet. Weird things happen around you. I'm not going to risk my life. So, (laughs) and then he says, haven't they told you that I hid these prophets? Like, I'm a good guy. You don't want to kill me. So Elijah's got to put his mind at ease. Elijah says, as the Lord of hosts lives. Hosts, by the way, angel armies. Yeah. As the Lord of angel armies lives, before whom I stand, awesome, I will surely show myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah goes and gets the king. Ahab comes and says, is this really you, you troublemaker of Israel? And Elijah answers, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And then he tells the king, we're going to sort this out. There are 400 prophets of Baal, and I'm the only prophet of Yahweh left. So let's meet on Mount Carmel. And uh, just bring two, uh, two bulls, and we're going to have a little showdown. The 400 prophets of Baal and me. So they meet on the mountain. It's high noon. You can hear the music. Now it's dead. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel. He gathered a huge crowd. And he gathered the 400 prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If Yahweh is God, then follow him. But if Baal is... Then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left, a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces, and I'll cut the other one up. We'll make two altars, we'll put wood on it, and we'll call out to our gods. Whichever god lights fire to the altar, fire from the sky, lightning, Baal's a storm god. He's in charge of that stuff, they think. Whichever god answers by fire, that's the true god. So the contest ensues, right? The prophets of Baal start calling on Baal and calling out to him from morning until noon. At noontime, Elijah decides it's time for some sarcasm. So he says to these guys, well, we know he's a god. Maybe he's just daydreaming somewhere or pooping or perhaps... You know, maybe he's asleep and you just have to be louder and wake him up. So they cry out louder, they dance, they go on and on and on. They start like cutting themselves and all kinds of weird stuff and like wiping the blood on them and on the sacrifice. That's, they think the God they serve likes that kind of thing. Scary. So the time comes for the evening sacrifice. This is important because a long time ago, I think like 50 years or something, the official king of Israel had said, we're not going to do this anymore. And he got rid of the evening sacrifice. But Elijah remembers. So he says, come here, people. He has them come close to the altar. And he says, let's dig a trench around this altar. So they dig a big pit. And he says, let's dump a whole bunch of water on it. And they do. And he says, let's dump some water on it again. And they do. And he says, eh, a third time. Let's dump a whole bunch of water on it. So... The meat of this bowl that he's cut up is sopping wet. The wood is sopping wet. The stone altar is sopping wet. And there's water filling the trench they've built. All right? 
All right. And Elijah prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, that you have turned their hearts back. That's all he says. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And in, in the Hebrew, it's Yahweh is God. Yahweh is God. And they fall on their faces. They're completely convinced. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and killed them there. Enough was enough. Who's in charge? Sorry, my hair is in my, in my face. So, I hope I drew the parallel there between them saying that they're sacrificing to these pagan gods and they're actually demons. We hear a lot of talk about demons. Boy, they look scary, don't they, in the movies? Look scary. The whole influence of the demonic looks scary. Does it seem like there was much of a fight here between Yahweh and this Baal guy? Does it seem like there's much of a fight in the divine assembly when Yahweh shows up and he's greatly to be feared? Does it seem like a diplomatic meeting where two equals are discussing politics and policy when he says, this is what you need to do or I'm going to kill you all as one man? Absolutely not. Yahweh is not to be played with. He's not a contender. He can't be contended with. He decides and he does. And he tries to get his people to live in this reality for so long. And they keep wanting to give glory and worship to these playthings that are pretending to be real gods. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like if this powerhouse Yahweh actually decided to come down here and show up? What kind of encounters would we expect when the demons are walking along and they turn around and they're like, Oh my God, that's God. <laughs> That's Yahweh, literally in the flesh. We might expect to see some things like we see in the book of Mark. Book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 23 to 27. He's in the synagogue teaching, Jesus is. Immediately there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed and cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed. And they questioned amongst themselves, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. It's as if the demon is just walking past the synagogue and happens to look in and sees Yahweh in the flesh and freaks out. There's nothing he can do but backtrack and like have you come to destroy me I'm like is that why you're here and Jesus is like shut up and get out of here and it does this continues to happen throughout his entire ministry so when Jesus is in the synagogue they fall down and they leave when Jesus is walking down the street in Mark 3 whenever the unclean spirits saw him they fell down before him and cried out you are the son of God 
And Jesus is like, get out of here. He's, he's kicking him out. He just walks into the room. And the demons can't stay. Have you ever turned on the lights in your house? And the lights didn't go on. And you thought to yourself, I know I have power, so... Well, the dark must just have won today. <laughs> must be because it's Tuesday. Maybe the light will be stronger Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Ridiculous. As sure as that light is going to throw darkness the heck out of here, the demons flee before Jesus. Amen. Like a wildfire. It's amazing. Mark chapter 5. Jesus is just trying to go across the Sea of Galilee, man. He's just trying to get out of the boat and stuff. And he parks at this place. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. Alright, so I imagine in my mind, like maybe there's a little hill and there's some tombs there. They pull up and this freak is like running down the hill to like meet him. You know? He's naked, we find out later in the story. So, creepy naked guy shows up. Jesus is just trying to get out of the boat, man. So... <laughs> Immediately there met him out of the tombs A man with an unclean spirit He lived among the tombs Because no one could bind him anymore Not even with a chain For he had often been bound with shackles and chains But he wrenched the chains apart And he broke the shackles in pieces And no one had the strength to subdue him So night and day among the tombs And on the mountains He was always crying out And cutting himself with stones no one could contain this guy's strength. The demonic, it is real. It is real. And it can do some scary stuff. It can. But we're not going to stop there because we're not going to be intimidated because being intimidated is silly. Let's read the next sentence. So he's this super powerful guy. He runs up to Jesus. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. <laughs> For he was saying to him, Jesus was saying to him, come out of him. He was telling the demons, come out. And the demon actually paused long enough to beg for mercy. Which is very bold on the part of a demon. He's like, before I do that, have you come to torture me? Like, can we just get that cleared up? And Jesus actually answers him, which I think is... I don't know why he did that. It is before the judgment. That is correct, my friend. It's coming, though. That's right. Don't torture me before it's time. It's not time yet. Yep, you got it. It's in fact, some of them say that. That's right, because they know it's coming. They know it's coming. And Yahweh is here in the flesh. So he's like, if you come to torture me, and Jesus has been saying, come out of him. Let me find my spot again. Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And the demon replies, My name is Legion, for we are many. And the demon begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. Interesting. Now there was a great herd of pigs that was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd numbered about 2,000 2,000 demons groveling at the feet of Jesus. 2,000 demons that had made this guy like a real-life Samson. You know, Samson was real. Like a real-life Hercules. Breaking chains and stuff. 
the scourge of the countryside. Everybody's afraid of him. And he's falling at Jesus' feet, begging not to be tortured. Who is this guy? Man! So Jesus is like, we'll play your game. I'll see you later, right? You can go into those pigs. So 2,000 pigs get demon-possessed, run down the hill, and drown in the sea. This makes the news. And the, com- the town folk come to see what the heck is going on into their pigs. The herdsmen fled and told it to the city. And people came to see what, what it was that would hap- what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw that the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, was sitting there, clothed, amen, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they had seen the reality of the demonic. They had seen the reality, not the fiction. We're not talking about zombies. We're not talking about werewolves. We're not talking about vampires. All those, maybe they're rooted in something that's kind of true, and they made a legend out of it. But these people had seen the reality of the demonic realm, and they were horrified by that. They were scared to death of this guy that's breaking chains and cutting himself and hollering like a wild man. And then to see him seated, clothed, in his right mind, how powerful must this guy be to kick the butts of 2,000 demons? How powerful is the spirit that is in us? How powerful is the Holy Spirit of the living God that indwells every believer? How tough is Yahweh who indwells me? The God who sends fire from heaven and burns up water. The God who sends 2,000 demons packing with a word. The God who's so scary to these scary demons that they have to run towards him to beg for mercy. Guys, demons are real. This isn't a sermon about how to deal with that. But I can tell you what. In the presence of the Lord, demons don't want to be there. They do not. Period. It's not a fight. It's not a tooth and nail battle to see who's supreme. It's Yahweh's there. I'm going over here. And they are drawn out and they are pushed out. So let's not be afraid of the reality of the demonic. Maybe we'll talk about this more some other time. Maybe we won't. But again, my big points today. Yeah, it's real. Yeah, our God is super tough. No comparison. Unassailable. He wins every time. And he indwells us. Amen. I'm going to pray to close, and then let's go ahead and hang out.